and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to yours. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. This evening, um, I'd like to talk about five attitudes that are key to successful living. Attitude is such an important concept in a person's life, and it also happens to be an aeronautical term. And to explain it, in terms of aviation, I have a little prop here. Well, it is a prop. Um, this plane, of course, this is a like World War I era plane, but it doesn't matter what era, they, it all is the same. When they talk about attitude in aviation, it's talking about the plane's position relative to the horizon. And for the most part, it's essential to consider it in two different planes. One is this way, and the other one is this way. Okay, And both are involved in the plane's attitude. But for our purposes, the thing that I'd most like you to understand is simply that if you point the nose of the plane up, the plane is going to climb in altitude. If you point it down, it's going to go down. It's that simple. And that seems axiomatic, but that is what attitude is in terms of aeronautics. The attitude literally determines the altitude of the plane. And that's true for us, too. Our attitude determines our altitude in life. It determines how high we fly in life. People often talk about attitude when it comes to people in either, a, generally most people just talk about it in terms of being either positive or negative attitudes. And those are a couple of major attitudes, but attitude is a broader concept than that. Yes, people can have a positive attitude or a negative attitude, and it's going to definitely have a tremendous impact on their life. People that are positive will have positive things happen to them. People that are negative are going to have negative things happen because that's the law of believing. But attitude isn't limited to just how your outlook on life is, of whether you're positive or negative. Um, attitude is defined as a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. So there are different attitudes that you can have about different things. And it sort of predisposes how you will act in a certain situation. What's your attitude towards something? What's your attitude about certain things? Um, what's your attitude about certain type of people? All of these things will affect how you behave. Now, biblically, we 
have certain attitudes from God's Word that we're encouraged to have. And it's part of the whole process of renewing our minds. Attitudes are shaped by both thoughts and experiences. Our attitudes in life are shaped by our thoughts, what we've learned, and what our experience have taught us. But when we go to God's Word, we can build the attitudes that we want to have. And we can decide to have those attitudes that are going to most help us in life. I'd like you to go to Proverbs chapter 22. And the first of the five different attitudes for successful living that we'll look at is humility. Humility is not being thinking lowly of yourself, and sometimes that's people's concept of humility. Um, it's an interesting word because people talk about somebody that's humble, and depending on the person and depending about their attitude towards humility, they can either regard that as a good thing or a bad thing that this person's humble. And some people would say that, and that's a compliment. And somebody else would say, well, he's very humble, and they might mean that negatively. It shows how complex that word is by the derivative of it, humiliated. And that's clearly a negative thing. Nobody wants to be humiliated, right? I was humiliated. And yet it's from that same word, humility. Humility, even when it comes to the understanding of it in terms of Christianity, is often a misunderstood word. And often, in most, mostly, or, or most pronounced in, in Christianity or, or religion, people's idea of humility means that, well, you're just insignificant. Somebody that's so humble, why, you know, it's just this attitude of, oh, I'm not important, I'm, I'm just, you know, this little peon, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm not significant, and they think that that's the attitude that they should have if they're humble. But that's got nothing to do with what humility is, and we'll see that as we go into it more. In Proverbs 22, in verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Would anybody like to be rich? Would anybody like to be honored? Would anybody like long life? Yeah. Well, it says that by humility, these things come. Mm. So it is obviously a very important attitude to have, an attitude of humility. By humility, it says, honor comes. So it can't be that you go around convincing everybody how unworthy and unimportant you are and expect that you're going to be honored as a result of that. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find that this attitude, this key, this principle of humility is essential to us walking worthy of all that God has called us to. In Ephesians 4.1 it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation or calling wherewith ye are called, 
with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And of course, that translation of that word has lowliness. Why, that absolutely sounds like you've got to be insignificant. But that's not at all, again, what it is. Humility is first and foremost our attitude toward God. And it's a recognition not that we are insignificant, but that God is so much greater than us. Humility is an attitude of respect toward God, an attitude of honoring God, an attitude of recognizing how big God is and because of how great He is, that not that we're nothing, but we're just not God. Humility is a freedom from haughty self-sufficiency. It's a freedom from that haughtiness, from that egotism, that arrogance. And it's opposed to pride. Humility of mind and humbleness is the opposite of pride. And pride is something that we should never have in the negative sense of, of being prideful about ourselves and our flesh. Pride's not a good thing. Look at Philippians chapter 2. This section in Philippians 2, I think, really helps get a good handle on what exactly what humility is. And we're not by any means going to do an extensive study on any of these five. We're just going to kind of define it here. But in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, and there's that same word, it's taponosophrune or something like that in the Greek, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're to have this humility, and then it talks about it being a quality, a thought, what, that Jesus Christ had. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he did what? Humbled, Humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ humbled himself. He was humble. He had this attitude of humility. Have you ever read the Gospels? Did Jesus Christ think badly of himself? No. Did he conduct himself in a manner that was like, oh, I'm, I'm not important, I'm not significant, I'm nobody. Oh, whatever you Pharisees think, I'll just go along with that because you're the guys that are important and I'll just kind of just no. cave in to whatever you think. You don't think I should heal people on the Sabbath? Well, I've got to be humble, so I'll just go. That's not at all who he was. It wasn't. And that's our example of humility. Jesus Christ was bold. Jesus Christ was confident. Jesus Christ knew who he was. He knew he was the Son of God, and he didn't hesitate to let people know. He was very confident, and he didn't think lowly of himself at all. He thought that he was what God had made him to be. He just recognized that God was far greater. And he looked to God in everything that he did. Well, the next attitude that we'll consider is thankfulness. You can turn to Colossians chapter 3. 
It's important that we're humble. It's important that we have humility because that's a, a good starting point. It's a starting point in our walk with God. Because if you don't think that God knows more than you, then you're not going to go very far. If, you know, and that's why it's followed with meekness. You know? Meekness is a willingness to learn. And you're only willing to learn from somebody if you think that they know more than you do, right? You know? If Mackenzie wanted to teach her father how to paint, um, you know, a house, I, I think he'd take it with a grain of salt because he knows he knows more than she does in that category. So we're humble, and then we need to be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye what? Thankful. thankful. An attitude of thankfulness. That we go through life with that attitude. And you can tell when people have that kind of attitude. You know people that really genuinely have a thankful attitude. When you do something for them, they appreciate it. You know they do. Even if they don't come out and tell you, you know those people that are just thankful. They are thankful for what they have in life. And you clearly know those people that aren't thankful for what they have in life because they'll let you know it. You'll know it real fast that they're not thankful. It goes on to say in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything that we do in word or deed, we give thanks to God. We give thanks to God. We're thankful as we go through a day. We're thankful for all God's blessings in our lives. We're thankful for you know, the roof over our head. We're thankful that we live in a country where we enjoy such freedoms, and so on and so forth. But having that attitude of thankfulness is so important to our enjoyment of life and our success in life. The next attitude that we'll consider is trust. And go to Psalm 18. Trust. And I'm naming five, and there certainly are other attitudes that you'll see in God's Word that are important, and some of these would, will encompass many other attitudes that you can fit in here. You know, trust, that encompasses believing. It encompasses our confidence in life, our confidence toward God, so much. In Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Go to Psalm 20. We can trust in God because he is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our strength. That's why we trust him, because we know that he's there for us and that he's stronger than we are and that he will protect us and he'll get us out of harm's way and he'll get us when we are in trouble, he'll, he'll see us through. We can trust God. And we go through life with that attitude so that when, if you truly have an attitude of trust, if you have an attitude of trust, then you're not freaked out every time something comes up that seems to be a little negative. You're not shook every time there's some bad news because you trust God. Hmm. 
Alan and I was telling the story today about when I came home one night and found my house had burnt down. And I, I just wasn't shook. I was not, honestly, I was just not the least bit, bit shook. I just had been taught from Bishop Casey Pillai's teachings that if you come home and you find your house is burned down, you just say, well, thank you, God, for getting me another house. And that's what I did because I just had that attitude that God will take care of me. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Chariots and horses represent the strength of a kingdom. And that's where a lot of people put their strength, their trust. They trust the nation. They trust their government. They trust the government to take care of them. They trust the you know, country to, to take care of them, to protect them. And that's where a lot of people put their trust. And when they do, you know, you can quickly recognize those that really have their trust in that because, man, they get so shook if they think that it's not trustworthy. They get real shook if they think that I can't trust my government. But if our trust is in the Lord, we just don't get all that shook. We just don't get all that shook because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All the things that people want to be afraid about, all the different you know, doomsday scenarios that people can come up with. And my goodness, if even one of the dozens, if not hundreds, of things that were supposed to get me in my lifetime happened, I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> if the population bomb had starved us to death, if, you know, the, all these different things that are supposed to have wiped us out long before now. But God takes care of me. God takes care of us. Look at Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitudes of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother and give to God a ransom for him. Some people trust in their wealth and their riches. But no matter how rich they are, no matter how wealthy they are, none of them are going to be able to you know, pay a ransom to God for their brother. None of them are going to be able to in any way make a difference. You know, there are some groups that promoted that, but <laughs> back still do to some extent, but back before the Reformation, that was a big deal with some. <laughs> but that's not what cuts it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, a similar truth is expressed in, in verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth, giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It says to, tr to warn them, to charge them that are rich not to trust in those riches. You know, it's not a sin to be rich, but it's a sin to trust in those riches. Mm -hmm. That's a mistake. You know, Noah and I, last Saturday, we were, we were reading about the Great Depression. And, you know, there was one day everybody thought that things couldn't get any better and everybody was so enjoying all the riches and within a week's time it was all wiped out. It was all gone. Because if those riches are uncertain, but God is certain. And when we trust Him, we don't have to worry about the rest. 
Well, the next attitude we'll look at is joyfulness. Look at Psalm 5, joyfulness. And there again, that's an attitude. Yes, joy is, is a fruit of the Spirit, and joy is something that we gain in life. But that attitude of joy is just like the attitude of thankfulness, that we can go through life just, just being joyful because we decide to have that attitude. You know, just like thankfulness. If that attitude of thankfulness, if you make a contingent upon when, how, how many things go right in your day, <laughs> you, you'll definitely work against having an attitude of thankfulness because once you start focusing on the things that go wrong, you'll be anything but thankful. Same way with joyfulness. That joyfulness is something that Boy, first of all, joy is an inside job like peace. But when we put that on in our minds, when we decide that we're going to be joyful, that we're going to be joyful because in the end, I'd rather be joyful than miserable. I'd rather be joyful than sad, than negative. And we have every reason to be joyful when we look at the Word. When you look at the world you'll find plenty of reason to not be joyful. But if you look at the Word, then you'll find plenty of reason to be joyful, regardless of what's going on around you. Psalm 5, verse 11 says, Let all those that put their trust in thee do what? Rejoice. rejoice. We just looked at trust. All of us that put our trust in the Lord can rejoice. And to rejoice is to have joy again. To rejoice is to joy again. Repeat and repeat. <laughs> you have to first have joy, but then you can continue to rejoice. And man, whenever you go to God's Word, it should be our joy and rejoicing. Every time we see something new, we joy in it. And every time we see something we already knew, we rejoice in it. We rejoice every time we consider how good God is. We rejoice every time we consider how much we can trust in Him. Mm. He goes on to say, Let them ever shout for joy because Thou defendest them. Let them also that love Thy name be joyful in Thee. You go to Psalm 149. Psalm 149, verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. <laughs> I like that. Sing aloud upon their beds. Just don't do it early in the morning and wake everybody. <laughs> Unless they're already up. But that's just that song in our heart. That's that attitude. It's an attitude that, that we have a new song, that we have something that we would shout for joy for, whether you literally do it or not, that that's the attitude. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord when everything goes your way. No. Well, you should rejoice in the Lord when everything goes your way. <laughs> I know, I baited you. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, rejoice when everything goes your way, but... Don't just limit it to that. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. 
It's always right to be positive. It's never right to be negative. It doesn't mean that there's not times when you sorrow. It doesn't mean when there's not times when you, you know, have just reason to, to be, you know, concerned or sorrowful. But even at those times, there is that which we can rejoice in. Even in the worst of times, we can rejoice in the hope, the hope that he's coming back. And know that, boy, we have that to rejoice in. That no matter how bad a day would be, no matter how bad things could ever get in our lives, that this is not the end of the story. We have this future hope that Christ is coming back and we are going to be gathered together and be with him and be with God for all of eternity. When, again, when we look at the word, there's so much to rejoice in. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Speaking of this, it talks about that very hope in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Speaking about Jesus Christ, it says, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Boy, don't you just love the beauty of, of these words? You know, we rejoice with joy unspeakable. We haven't seen him, you know. There's that poem, if Jesus came to your house, but I don't think he's actually literally done it to anybody here. You know, if Jesus came to your house today, would you have to go around cleaning everything up and hiding stuff? Sometime I'll do the whole poem for you. We haven't, and yet we nonetheless... We joy in him, and we rejoice with joy unspeakable. Well, the last of the attitudes we'll look at this evening is love. And that one certainly encapsulates so many other. You know, when we talk about love, we can talk about things like forgiveness and an attitude of forgiveness. We can talk about an attitude of not being judgmental. We can talk about many of these things that are part of love. But love does fulfill it all. In Romans chapter 12, and we're talking about love, we're talking about the love of God and the renewed mind and manifestation. We're not talking about emotional love because, yeah, that one does blow hot and cold. <laughs> one day, you know, the, the, the gal loves you, and the next day, she doesn't know why she ever thought she did. <laughs> Not my gal. <laughs> but that's the nature of just human love. But the love of God is unconditional. It's unlimited. And that love of God, boy, there is an attitude that we should have in life toward all. In Romans 12, 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. It means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, not fake, not just a mask. That's what that word hypocrisy originally it referred to. In the you know, Greek theater where they had, they would literally put on the mask of either smiling if it was a comedy or frowning if it was a tragedy. A mask. And some people go through life doing that. They just wear a mask. And you don't know what, what they really are all about and what they really feel. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> It says, love should be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. And that is brotherly love there. 
It's not that brotherly love is a bad thing. You know, that is the human love that it's speaking about there, not the love of God. We want to have that too. We want, you know, that's a good thing to have. We should have both. Mm-hmm. Romans 13. Yep. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear, thou shalt not bear false witnesses, false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love, you don't have to think about this law and that law and so on and so forth. All the law is fulfilled in it. If you love somebody, you're not going to kill them. (laughs) If you love somebody, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie to them. If you love somebody, you're going to treat them with love. You're going to treat them the way you'd want to be treated. And you're going to treat them even better than that if it's the love of God. That love covers everything, you know? That's why if you, you know, love God and love your neighbor, you can just do as you fool please because it won't be foolish and it will be well-pleasing to the Lord. Well, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 is another wonderful verse amongst many about the love of God. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... And liberty is that freedom to choose. You've been called into liberty. You've got the right to just do what you want. That's it. We're, we're not under law. Galatians goes into a lot of detail to really drive that home. We're not under law. We are under liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And some people look at liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Well, I'm free to do as I please. <laughs> I'll do what I like. I'm free to do as I please. Well, yeah, you are. And you can have that attitude in life. Or instead you can have the attitude that by that liberty we would love one another. That we have the freedom to love. Because liberty gives you the freedom to do something out of love. You know, if I'm holding a club over your head, that's not freedom. Me down, the word is on my mind.